0: You're listening to Sermon Audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 13. We are continuing our journey through the book of Mark. And there's so much here. It's just an amazing uh, book in the Bible. All the Gospels are amazing. Mark is somewhat of a... Uh, uh, it has a little bit of a shorter version of the other Gospels. It's the short of all, shortest of all the Gospels, um, and it's a tremendous look into the life of Jesus Christ. And that's kind of what we've been talking about is how can we take some snapshots here in the book of Mark without, you know, we're not covering every story, and, but we're, we are covering many of them, and it just so happens chapter 13 has a theme that carries itself all the way through the chapter, which is pretty cool um, and challenging, by the way. But we've been growing in the likeness of Christ. We've been taking a fresh look at the Gospels. So we're going to do it again today. Well, this week, my son Joe walked into my office and he said, Hey, Dad, your Father's Day gift finally arrived. Now, how many of you know Father's Day is in June, right? Yeah, it's crazy. What happened was I had saw this watch company had put out a video in support of our uh, law enforcement, and I thought it was just really cool that they did that. And so I ordered, uh, excuse me, I told Joe, hey Joe, I'd really like a watch from that company. I really like the way they approached law enforcement. And and it was a great video. And a lot of hostility at that time was happening in our country. I'm sure it's obviously still is, but it was, uh, it had reached a climax. And I just thought it would be a cool thing to have a watch from this company that was in support of our law officers, which of course we, we are as well. And, well, they got so many hundreds of thousands of orders that everything backlogged and the watch did not come until this week. And so Joe walks in my office and says, Dad, your, your Father's Day gift has finally arrived. So I get my Father's Day gift. I, I, I now can tell the time. So here's my first question this morning, group, group question, group participation. What time is it? 11.17. Thank you. I heard that a couple times. So it's eleven seventeen, and I, you're correct. I've got a watch now. I know what time is it. Does anybody know what day it is? It's Sunday. Hey, man, that's a good thing. All right, does anybody know what month it is or what, what day of the month it is? 18th of October. All right, that's a tougher question. Sometimes I have to look for the answer on that one. All right, here's an easy one. What about the year? 2020, almost 2021. We'll still be writing 2020 for a couple of months after that, but... Right now, we're pretty safe. We've gotten used to 2020. But do you know what time it is in human history? Well, I have a sense that human history could be coming to a close. And so I want you to turn to Mark chapter 13. And I want you to look at this chapter with me. And what we're going to be doing is taking a look at the signs. Because we we, we have been told that the end is coming watch for something. Watch for the signs. And in Mark chapter number 13, the Bible says in my Bible, there's a heading above all of this that makes this statement. It may be different in your translation, but I'm sure it's something like this. Mine says, signs of the end of the age. In the gospel of Mark in chapter 13, signs of the end of the age. And maybe you see something like that. When you see these things happening. A good summary verse of the entire chapter, a summary verse, might be verse 29. So read, with, read it on the screen here. I'll read it out loud. So, also, here it is, good summary. When you see these things taking place, what things? Well, this is verse 29. We're deep into the chapter by now. So what we're about to do is back up to the beginning of chapter Mark. And we're going to see what these things are. Because when you see these things taking place, you know something. You know this. You know that he is near. At the very gates. Or maybe your translation says right at the very door. Christ is near. The return of Christ is near this thing as we know it called life on earth is not going on forever eventually human civilization is coming to an end and god's eternal kingdom is going to be ushered in and this is what we know And this is why we can preach a message like this with joy and thanksgiving and gratitude to our great God and and, and to our Savior Jesus. And so pay close attention as we share some things about these things. Verse 29, when you see these things, what things? These signs. And so you see in your notes and your worship, God, 10 signs that indicate we're living in the last days of human history. Jesus said, I want you to know these things. Look with me at verse number one of Mark chapter 13, and he came out of the temple. Before I read this, let me say the teaching in Mark gives us a summary of the teaching that Jesus gave more extensively in the book of Matthew. In fact, in Matthew chapters 23 and chapters 24 and chapters 25, there's a a, almost like an exhaustive account of everything that I'm going to be sharing and giving you somewhat of a glimpse of. But there's much more, In Mark kind of condensed it. Matthew gave more details, and other Gospels probably as well. Nobody as much as as Matthew. So he comes into the temple, and one of the disciples says to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones, and what wonderful buildings. So the disciple walks in and makes this statement about everything that, that looks good. In fact, you look good. You know, we all look pretty good this morning. It's a, it's a Sunday. We, we tend to walk into a, you know, our, our Western culture churches in North America. And, and, and it's a lot about looking good. And Jesus says, do you see these great buildings? There will not be left one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Jesus says, in essence, you see this great place? Do you see this beautiful house of worship? Here's the issue. Here's the problem. And he goes into this more details in Matthew. It's dead on the inside. And God is not interested in places that look good, but don't have heart. And God is not interested today as much as what we look like on the outside, but what is the condition of our hearts. And as he sat in verse 3 on the Mount of Olives the opposite the temple, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew addressed him and asked him privately. They said, Jesus, tell us. Tell us more. Tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished. And so Jesus said, I want you to know when it's coming to an end. And still today, today, October the 18th, 2020, these are still the signs. Sign number one. Ready? Religious deception. Religious deception. Mark chapter 13, let's start in verse number 5. It says here in Mark 13, verse 5, And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name and say, I am he. And they will lead many astray. In fact, he says somewhat of the same thing or the same theme later on in Mark chapter 13. I'll show it to you right now since we're on this idea of sign number one being religious deception. Look at verse 21. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ or look, there he is. Don't believe it for false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray if possible the elect. So this is the very first sign. Religious deception. So I have a question for everybody in the audience today. You're welcome to answer a lot if you'd like. Is there an increasing amount of religious deception in the world today? Yes, I agree. Without question. In fact, just a little study. Since the beginning of the 1900s, new religions have increased 18 times their number, according to the Institute of New England Research Some institutes place 20 million Americans in destructive or heretical cults, C-U-L-T-S. 20 million Americans. In fact, on a week-to-week basis, we're told that several thousand people every week, several thousand a week, are hemorrhaging out of, uh, in North America, out of Bible-preaching and Bible-believing churches into cults. Several thousand a week. You say, why? Well, we'll get to that possibility and why in just a moment. Let's move on to the second one. So religious deception is sign number one. Sign number two, escalating wars and increased human suffering. We'll put two together. Escalating wars, rumors of wars, and increased human suffering. Look, if you would, at verse number seven. When you hear of wars, and when you hear of rumors of wars, don't be alarmed. This must take place. But the end is not yet, for nation will rise against nation, and kingdom will rise against kingdom. So another question for the audience, is there an increase in wars to your knowledge? Yes, not a true question. Yes, just a little bit of research will tell you that. Here it is, the 20th century was the most barbaric century in the history of mankind killing a record number of souls in two world wars, and the spread of communism, and with, rather, the spread of communism, in excess of 180 million lives. More than all the wars in history put together. One century. More than all the wars of history put together. Today there are more. There's 200 limited wars that have been fought just since World War II. 200. And then today there are more than... Right now, as we speak, as we preach, more than 40 active wars going on as we sit in this comfortable building in our world today. I have a little map of it. It's kind of hard to see, but if you look closely, you can see the little red dots all over. There's one there closer to us, but then below in South America, but all over Africa and the Middle Eastern part of the world, wars that are being fought as we speak, over 40 of them the latest rough estimates for those killed in warfare just for the last 20 years. Let's just go 20 years since 2000. So 2000 to 2020, here are a list of wars that have been fought. Now, if I were to add up the the biggest number, it would be much more than this. But here's what I did. I took the time to sit in my office and take the average number. If, if they gave us a at least this many, I took that number. But if they gave us at least this many and as much as this many, I took the middle number. And I came up with, in just the last 20 years, 7,074,000 people killed. We are killing people so fast we can't even keep count of it anymore. And Jesus said, watch. And when wars are escalating and rumors of wars are escalating, tune in. Because that's when my return is getting really close. And then in Mark chapter 13 in verse 8 he goes on to say there will be earthquake in various places. There will be famines. But these are just the beginning of birth pains. He speaks here, he uses this idea of a woman who is, 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 is having a baby and Jesus is saying it's like a woman in childbearing. The first pains are not like the worst pains as it They move into their labor. It gets worse, and Jesus likens it to that. It gets gets worse. Is there famine problems in our world today? 35,000 people die from hunger and hunger-related diseases every day. Now, this is important for you to hear because, again, in just a moment, we're going to understand that so many of us are so easily disconnected from these types of figures and these types of thoughts because of where we live and what we have. 35,000 people every day are dying across our world. Get this one. Of the 125 million babies born into our world in the last year, 125 million babies born in the last year, 12 million of those 125 babies will die of hunger before their first birthday. Before they reach the age of one, they'll die of, of starvation. Let's sink in. Let's talk earthquakes for just a minute. Earthquakes. All right, all right. Jesus said, my return is near when earthquakes are more frequent, right? We just read that a moment ago in Mark chapter 13 and verse number eight. There's going to be earthquakes in, in, in uh, various places. And so, according to the U.S. Geological Survey, I thought this was interesting, from 1890 to 1930, just 40 years. So let's take that 40 year span, nearly a hundred years ago, and they said that there were eight earthquakes that measured 6.0 or more on the Richter scale in that 40-year period. And then beginning in 1930 until 1960, so let's just thin it out now to 30 years, there were an increase. It was, actually it was 18 earthquakes, earthquakes, earthquakes 6.0 or larger on the Richter scale. Let's get closer to where we are now, 1960 to 1979. That's not too far distant. But just 19 years, there were 64 earthquakes from 60 to 79, 6.0 or larger. And then I looked at the last basically 40 years, from 1980 to 2020, and I tried to add the numbers up. There are so many, I'm just going to be accurate by saying this. Since 1980 to this day, there are hundreds and hundreds of earthquakes worldwide, 6.0 on the Richter scale, or larger. So there really is nothing to debate here. When Jesus said that, earthquakes, is going up, 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 up. Look, watch. My return is getting closer. Sign number three. Believers who are forced to identify themselves. Now think with me for just a moment, and even in the last 20 years, It seems as if, you know, our Christianity, though we may be be thankful for it, and we go to church, and there's places where we are somewhat open about our Christianity and not ashamed to share it, it, it was easier to hide it years ago and not really make a big deal about it. In Mark chapter 13 and verse 9, pay attention, it says, be on guard. Be on guard. Sign number three. Because there's, they're going to deliver you over to councils. You'll be beaten in synagogues and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. He speaks of these religious tribunals that... We may stand before uh, those that profess Christ's name in councils and in synagogues. And then he speaks of secular government, such as governors and kings. And then he talks about, you'll do this to bear witness of my name before them. Wow. The scripture speaks of Christians being forced to give an account for their faith. Now understand this about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is absolute truth. Absolute truth. There is no wavering from this fact that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. And around the world, when it, when it, whether it's Islam or Buddhism or Hinduism, all faiths that have their origination in Satan, all false religion, all teach that there are many ways to God. Except for us. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ is proclaimed as the exclusive hope for mankind. We are the only ones that believe that there is only one way to heaven. And that's why John chapter 14 and verse 6 is so important to us where it says that Jesus said with his own way, mouth, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's either true or that's false. And I want to stand and say, I believe it's true. With all of my heart, without any apology, that is true. And the cost that will have to be paid to stand for the gospel as the exclusive hope of all fallen humanity is going up. The cost is increasing. And in our lifetime, it's going to cost us more than it has ever cost the people of God ever before. And so I took some time just to meditate on that. When the cost is going up, and I know that many are paying the cost around the world, we'll get to that in just a minute. In one of the other signs, but I pictured in my mind for just a moment if that were true, of you know, right now, if somebody came to my house and said, You know, listen, we, we heard you're a Christian, and if that's true, you're under arrest, or maybe. If it were like in some other countries, maybe it would say, you either renounce the name of Christ or we'll take your wife's life in front of you. And maybe they might be holding a machete to her neck and saying, you either renounce the name of Christ. And I couldn't hear what Carolyn was saying. I mean, I know what I wanted her to be saying, but I mean, this moment was so surreal to me that I was thinking, I don't think I could do it. And I was somewhat discouraged about that. I don't know what I would say. I don't know what I would do. But I have some really encouraging words for you from the gospel of Mark, chapter 13 and verse 11. Because the word of God says when they bring you to trial and when they deliver you over, don't be anxious beforehand. And I read that and thought, well, that's what I was a moment ago thinking about any of this happening to me. Don't be anxious beforehand. What's your to say? But say whatever is given you in that moment, in that hour. For it is not you who speaks anyway, but the Holy Spirit of God. And I was so encouraged as I read that passage. How great is that? Because if you say like I'm saying, I don't know if I have the strength. You're right. You don't have the strength. But he does. And he will give you what to say. If you're one of his, he will do that. These days are coming. And there's so much ridicule of Christians today. You noticed? It's crazy. Hollywood ridicules Christians. Media, other people, sometimes those we work with, just seems like it's getting easier and easier to take the Lord's name in vain. It's not, nobody's embarrassed, nobody blushes anymore. It just seems as if Christianity is, where's all the ridicule for Islam? Where's all the ridicule for Hinduism? Why is Christianity only ridiculed? Because Satan doesn't ridicule himself. As the hostility towards Christians is on the rise, the day is coming when believers are going to be forced to identify themselves. And so that very naturally leads us into the fourth thing. And that is sign number four. Wholesale defection and betrayal of apostate believers. When standing for Christ begins to cost us, many will bail on him. You ever had a friend bail on you? Josh, you know what I'm talking about? You know, somebody just, you thought they were your friend and then it got tough. A trial came and they were nowhere to be found. That's what Scripture is going to teach us here. Look, if you would, please, at verse number 12 of Mark chapter 13. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you'll be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. In other words, there seems to be here what we understand in Scripture is to be a separating Of the wheat from the tares. There's a separating of the sheep from the goats. And the ones that make it through this test. Are the ones who really know him. We read in 1 John chapter 2 verse 19. They went out from us but they were not of us. If they had been of us. They would would have continued with us. But they went out. So that it might become plain that they really were not of us after all. In other words, it's the trial, it's the testing, it's the truth that separates the sheep from the goats. And I think it would be helpful if we just took the expanded message from Matthew chapter 24 for this point at least. And so on the screen, you'll notice, and I'm borrowing from Matthew's account of this, as I mentioned earlier, a much more extensive account. But look with me at verse 10 through 13. Many will fall away and betray one another. Many will hate one another. Many false prophets will rise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness is increased. Anybody see more lawlessness in our streets than ever before? Because lawlessness will be increased. That's going on right now in our day. So we can relate to that. The love of that this was concerning to me. The love of many. You know what I wanted that to say? The love of a few. I really did. I wanted it to say the love of just a handful of people that proclaim Christ as Lord. Just a handful. But it didn't say the love of a few. It said the love of many will grow cold. Not warmer when trials come. Not warmer and hotter for God when tests come. But the love of many, most Of the people who say they loved God, that love will grow cold. Not a few, but many. And this is so concerning. A wholesale defection and betrayal of false believers. It reminds me of of me. I mean, here I am as pastor of this church. And and I'm challenged every morning to preach the truth of the word of God. But I believe there's coming a day when pastors who think that to improve Christianity, they have to, to, to make it easier. And I think when that day comes, those preachers who tried to make Christianity seem easy are going to be preaching to empty churches. Empty churches, the love of many. Religious, ritual Christians, gone. Health, wealth, and prosperity Christians, gone. Self-esteem, psychology, Jesus Christians, gone. Liberal, social, gospel Christians, now, let me take a moment, just, just say this. Let us not think more, high, more highly of ourselves than we ought to think right now. Well, I won't be one of those. I'll be, one, I'll be here, preacher. Wait a minute. 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, verse 12 says, you got that on the screen? Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. In fact, there is another passage that speaks of us taking the time to examine ourselves. And maybe that should be every day, as Paul said, to die daily to the flesh and to self. Maybe every day we should just examine ourselves. Why? If we're truly in the faith, the days of testing will come. And when the price goes up and when it gets really hard, if we really are a follower of Christ, we'll be ready. And this may come in our lifetime. Sign number five. The gospel will be preached in every nation. Now, what's so awesome about this is, and I, you know, we don't, we don't always plan the Sunday we're going to be speaking on a particular subject. Sometimes we just like kind of let the Holy Spirit kind of arrange all that. But we're just coming out of our missions revival. Amen? And here I am talking about the gospel being preached in every nation. And I'm thinking about Jeremy and Kara Matt, who we are. Prayerfully going to be able to take on again. That's why those cards are so important We really do the budget you see in the worship. God is the budget we keep and so it is important because as Jeremy and Kara present their ministry to China to learn the language and then to Costa Rica to win those who are Chinese-speaking people in other countries as we as we hear their testimony. We say wow They are going to unreached people groups to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ amen And then we think about Josh and Val and how they're, you know, they've left the Philippines. And so many have to come off the mission field because of this virus, this pandemic. But prayerfully, they'll go back and be able to preach the gospel. Listen, there is an incredible progress that's being made in the world today where the gospel is being preached to every nation. Amen. And I'm thankful today that Gospelite took four nights And set them aside and said, we want to emphasize the gospel going out from Hot Springs, Arkansas. Amen. Just a few statistics in the last 100 years as it relates to world missions. Because I know we hear a lot of negativity about, you know, sometimes we hear negativity about the gospel going out. But I want you to know, there's not much negativity in this building this morning. Listen to David Bryant who gave a book entitled The Hope at Hand with much information about these things. I'm just going to give you a couple of stats from his book. 70% of all progress, 70% of all progress towards completing the Great Commission has taken place since 1900. And of that 70%, and of that, 70% of that has happened since World War II. And now bringing us even today to this moment, evangelical Christianity has exploded in the last 40 years. And the focus of almost all missions is on unreached people groups. The people who the gospel needs to get to. So that sign will be finished. The gospel will be preached to all nations. And no generation in human history has been able to read Mark chapter 13 and verse 10 like we can. We can read that and see it happening. We can see that coming to pass. We're so encouraged by so many testimonies. Missionaries going out, laying their lives down, leaving the comforts of their own home to go somewhere to preach the gospel, put themselves in dangerous places. We're living in those times. This idea of the gospel being preached in every nation is right upon us. And it's awesome. I love missions. And I love giving weekly to our faith promise program. And I, and I love walking by those missionary letters and reading them and thinking, man, praise God. And I'm thankful that Nick Cantrell is leaving this place at the first of the year to go to Vanuatu right out of our church. And we're placing a church member in a foreign land made up of islands to preach the gospel to children. Two thumbs up, church. That's exciting. Sign number six. The abomination of desolation literally marks the time. Specifically, it marks it. Now, we're not going to get into much detail here, okay? But, but we are going to touch on this sign here, sign number six. We're going to do that by reading verse 14 that, that mentions something very interesting and I want you to take notice to it. Are you ready? But when you see, The abomination of desolation, speaking specifically of the Antichrist, when you see him standing where he ought not to be. Now, notice these next few interesting words. Let the reader understand. Why did the Holy Spirit of God inspire Mark to put that in his gospel? Think about it. Let the reader understand. Well, as we know from the Old Testament, there is... A book in the Old Testament entitled Daniel, a very prophetic book, one specifically chapter in that book, chapter number nine, speaks very clearly about the abomination of desolation. And it goes on to say, basically, let the reader understand this. It's really important that you understand this. This is not something you just want to say, well, uh, you know, I don't care about this. No, let him understand this. I want you to know this. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Jesus is specifically mentioning something here that was foretold by the prophet Daniel in his prophetic vision. What is meant by the abomination of desolation is specifically that there, there's going to be someone who sits in this place and causes severe, severe destruction to the temple. It's the Antichrist. And this marks the time. And when this happens, we won't be talking about, is this the signs anymore? We'll be saying, no, this is it. When this happens, this will be it. Sign number seven. unparalleled persecution and martyrdom of believers. So when the Antichrist ties and, and basically ties all this together and tips off the world as to what is going on, the heat's going to be turned up. Look at verse 15. Then the one who was on the housetop, not don't go down. And, and Don't enter the house. Don't take anything out. They had flat roofs there. They would have just said, look, leave everything in your house and just run. flee to the mountains, verse 14 said specifically. So intense is this persecution going to be in verse 16. It says that let the one who's in the field not turn back to take his cloak. Better to be cold in the mountains than dead in the city. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there'll be much tribulation as such has not been since the beginning of creation that God created until now and never will be. So again, a question. Is this the day of martyrdom? Are there people actually, church, dying around the world for their faith today? Well, first of all, in order for us to truly understand that, I think we have to understand as followers of Jesus Christ that we're just part of a very big family. It's not just limited to Hot Springs in Arkansas and North America. Its believers all over the world. You say well I think I knew that preacher. But here's what makes it tough. Because we live in a dream world. We have so much Because of all the things that we have, and I'm glad for the things that we have. I'm not at all preaching against those things as being bad. I'm helping you to understand those are blessings from God. We're thankful. We talk about, you know, living in this country and, and all of the economy and the houses and the cars and the vacations and the food that we eat. I get it, and I'm not saying those things are wrong. I'm simply saying those things have numbed us. We live in a dream world, and that's why it's easy for us to get messed up in our thinking get this, more Christians were persecuted and martyred for their faith in the 20th century than all previous centuries combined. Today, this morning, right now, nearly two-thirds of all Christians alive today are suffering persecution in varying places and to varying degrees. Some it's restriction of freedom, some it's imprisonment, some it's discrimination, some it's slavery and torture, and some even death. David Barrett In the International Bulletin of Missionary Research said that the average rate of Christians being martyred for their faith every year is 160,000 per year. But we live in a dream world, so it's really hard. I, I really feel led by the Holy Spirit to bring us to a place where we understand the importance of who the persecuted church is. How many, just out of curiosity, how many in the building actually received this, this magazine? I'm just, I'm just asking, just doing a poll of how, where you are of this magazine. Would you lift your hand if you get this on a monthly basis? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Good. So we got eight people in a building of a couple, 300 folks. And in, in the first service, we had a huge crowd. Some of you walked in and said, well, where are they, it's almost this many people. And we had two. That received that magazine. I almost feel like that's an indictment on your pastor. It's not you, it's me. To not have made you aware of praying for the persecuted church until now is only an indictment on my apathy, and I apologize. I do want to encourage everyone. It's simple, it's easy. You can go online and get this mail to your house. On November the 1st, we're actually going to participate in the Voice of the Martyrs, International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. This is amazing. And I've been aware of this persecution, this martyrdom happening all over the world. I want to take just a short moment and show you a five-minute video from The Voice of Martyrs. It's just a reenactment of a beautiful story of a young man who is now a pastor. He's a church planter, but it didn't start that way. Listen to this beautiful story, and then we'll have a testimony after that. There's a hymn that they sing in the Chinese underground church. I want to introduce that hymn to you. It's called, I Want to Be a Martyr for My Lord. Many of the churches underground in China sing this song before and after their services, when they get there, when they leave. To some, I read, it's a requirement to join the church. Here's the chorus. To be a martyr for the Lord, to be a martyr for the Lord. I'm willing to die gloriously for the Lord. Help me a little faster, please. Those apostles who loved the Lord to the end willingly followed the Lord down the path of suffering. John was exiled to the lonely Isle of Patmos, I obviously don't know the, the way they sing it. I'm just reading the, this, the words. Stephen was stoned to death by an angry crowd. Matthew was stabbed to death in Persia by a mob. Mark died as horses pulled his two legs apart. Dr. Luke was cruelly hanged. Peter, Philip, and Simon crucified on a cross. Bartholomew skinned alive by the heathen. Thomas died in India as five horses pulled his body apart. The apostle James was beheaded by King Herod. Little James was cut in half by a sharp saw. James, the brother of the Lord, was stoned to death. Judas, not the Judas who betrayed Christ, but the Judas in Acts chapter 1, was tied to a pillar and shot by arrows. Matthias had his head cut off in Jerusalem. Paul was a martyr under Emperor Nero. Here's the last verse. I'm willing to take up the cross and go forward to follow the apostles down the road to sacrifice. The tens of thousands of precious souls can be saved. I'm willing to leave all and be a martyr for the Lord. Wow. Powerful And and, and again, what Kevin said is so true because it doesn't sound like these people are very sad about it either. They understand something we don't in our dream world. And so as as pastor, I feel so led to to speak about this because I don't want to avoid anything in God's word. We're living in a dream world, so let's wake up to the reality of the day and age in which we live in. Jesus gave us this extensive teaching for a reason. Why did he put it here? Why did the mark under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit give us these signs so that we might recognize them? He loved us enough to show us these things that we might know in advance. And if, in fact, we are that generation that we might be aware and not be caught off guard. He loves us and he wants us to know these things. Now, real quickly, as I give you these final three, and I'm going to be quick. I want to say something real quickly. I just want to address in a very short period of time the pre-tribulation rapture. Because for years, it was almost a given that a lot of churches, Baptist churches, Christian churches, would just take that not because they studied it, because it was just something that was handed down. It wasn't so much... It was more like a logical approach to the theology of the return of Christ versus a biblical approach. And so, I just want everyone here to know, in as soft a way as I can say it, that it seems as if that the pre-tribulation rapture, and it doesn't take much to study this, is an invention of Western culture more than it is a study of Scripture. And I say all that to say that it doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, if you want to be pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, can we all agree Jesus is coming? Amen. And so whatever side of that you're on, I wouldn't be so hostile about it. I no no longer, I feel any pressure. I believe Jesus is coming back. I do believe scripture is pretty clear. It won't be pre-trib. There'll be some suffering. But at the end of the day, church, it's not, it's no reason for us to argue. If you're looking to attend a church that believes everything just like you do, it's going to be hard-pressed to find one. So let's move on to sign number eight. Suffering will be cut short By the rapture of the church. Suffering will be cut short. Look at Mark chapter 13 and verse number 20. And if the Lord had not cut short the days. What days? Well, these are days of tribulation. Days of suffering. That's what these days are. That he's speaking about here. What days? Days of suffering. Days of tribulation. If he had cut those days short, no human being. If he had not cut those days short, no human being would have been saved. But for the sake of. Of the elect whom he chose he shortened the days it's clearly taught here that the days are shortened the days of tribulation are shortened for the sake of the elect believers followers of Christ and if we were all in heaven it would it wouldn't make much sense to shorten the days for our sake because we would all be having great days in heaven with Jesus But the days are cut short. And the reason why the days are shortened is because the church, the redeemed of God, it's so that the church at this point can be raptured, but not before much suffering. It appears that sometime after the abomination of desolation, as we read a moment ago, that God's going to step in at some point. I don't know when. No man knows the day of the hour. I just know at some point God's going to step in and say... That's enough. That's enough. And take his church. And God will then after that pour out his wrath upon this world. But, be clear, before that, from what we're studying here, God will not take us out of the way until there is suffering. Then he'll rapture the church. First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10 says it like this, And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Not suffering. He doesn't deliver us from suffering. He doesn't deliver us from temptation or tribulation, rather. But God's wrath is what he delivers us from. Now, you won't find an expert on staff at Gospel Light. There is no expert. So if you're looking for one, I'll go talk to this guy. I've already talked to all of them. They all said the same thing. Well, I, I just know Jesus is coming. Most of them agreed it would be after much suffering. But you won't find an expert. I don't know that there is an expert. In fact, I think more importantly, it's just for you and I to say, let's be ready when he comes. Let's be watching. Mark 13, verse 21, just to finish the chapter. And if anyone says to you, look, here is Christ. Look, there he is. Don't believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I've told you, all things Beforehand, I've told you all of this in advance. Why? So that you will recognize the signs. Sign number nine, the wrath of God descends upon the world. But in those days, verse 24, after the tribulation, the sun is going to be darkened. The moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven. The powers in heavens will be shaken. Wow, these two verses are amazing there. They speak of this great cosmic conflict between the powers of God and the powers of darkness. Sign number 10, the second coming of Christ in the end of the age, verse 26. And then, all these time markers, and then, and then, and then. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great glory. And then he will send out the angels. And then he'll do this. And then they will gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. So those that are a part of the redeemed people of God from heaven and those who are come from earth are going to be gathered all together. Wow. These are the 10 signs. So here's what I want to close with. What are we to do? I mean, with all this information, what are you and I to do? We've already been told we shouldn't fear. And we've already been told that our lives are hid with Christ and God. And that's, that's true. And that's wonderful. And that's what I'm preaching out of a, the context of which I'm preaching all of this. But there's more. Look, if you would, please, at verse 28. He says, listen, from the fig tree, learn this lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know the summer is near. So, just like that, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at The very gates. So watch. I love that word. Maybe your translation says be alert. Watch. Be alert. What does it mean to watch? This may be the most important note I have in all of your worship, God. It means this. To live aware of the nearness of Jesus. To live aware of the nearness of Jesus. And that's really what we're talking about this morning. Not that we run to some mountain and hide somewhere. That's not what we're talking about. That's not the subject matter. It is how this, living aware of the nearness of Jesus, would change every decision we make. If we lived like this, it might change what we give to foreign missions. If we live like this, it might change some of the decisions we make on a daily basis about what we have and what we put stock in and how much we put away. It might change some of the way we think if we lived with an awareness of the nearness of Jesus so therefore he says be alert be watchful Jesus is coming soon like the old hymn says what if it were today what if it were today yet we seem to live in the only country on the face of the earth where this could be preached and it's not good news I don't like it when you preach on this preacher because I want to see my son graduate. Why do you got to preach on this preacher? I'm not married yet. I want to get married and have kids and go on a yacht, take a cruise. Preacher, why are you preaching this? Man, the stock market's up. Man, it's really good right now. Got extra money. I'm doing things that I've never done before. Could I ask you to stop talking like that? Here's why. Because how sad would it be that we think that in any way what the world has to offer can even compare to what God has in store for us. (sighs) Nothing. Not even your son's graduation. Can I assure you that when God comes and takes us home, it will be so much better than anything you could have ever experienced had he not come at that time? And so may we not live with this idea that we're somehow better off staying here than going there. My my thought is this. We need to love and we need to long for the appearance of Christ. And our prayer needs to be what Scripture says. Maranatha, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Matthew 13, we'll close with the last five verses. 32 through 36. But concerning the day of the... Or or that hour? No one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Be on guard. Stay awake. For you don't know what the time is. It's like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts a servant in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you don't know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at the midnight or when the rooster crows are in the morning. Just stay awake, lest suddenly he comes and finds you sleeping. What does that mean? It means to be alert. But how? I know what it means like to be alert physically. Darian, come here, my physical specimen of a... Oh, man, if any any dude's got it, this guy's got it. Ten jumping jacks, let's go. Ten, right here, let's go, buddy. Darian's one, two, count him up with three. He looks good. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. High five. Stay with me, stay with me, don't leave yet. So, you know what that means? Darian is obviously alert. Physically, I mean his body is physically alert. He tends up attacks, No problem. Not even breathing hard All right, All right how here Darren. you know how when you need to wake yourself up You ever fall asleep in church and just come on slap yourself in the face a couple times other side other side Come on. stop. do it again there <laughs> One more time. Okay, that's good enough. That's good. Enough. I mean Tiffany slaps you harder than that <laughs> I'm joking. You could be seated. That's to be alert mentally Sometimes I have to do things. Pinch ever been driving down the road and, oh, you know <laughs> ever do that? I've done it many a time. Sorry. <laughs> Not with you in the car, right? It's different. To be alert physically is one thing. To be alert mentally is one thing. But what does it mean to be alert spiritually? It means this are you forgiving the people you're supposed to be forgiving today? Are you talking about Jesus and giving the gospel out like you should today? Are you confessing known sin in your life and ridding yourself of things that are holding you back from serving God today? Are you in the Word and on your knees today? Are you participating in getting the gospel out to the entire world today? Are you alert spiritually? That's what this means. Don't let Him find you asleep. Be serving God like you've never served Him before. May all of us in this church, and listen... I understand I don't want to be a preacher that just tickles your ears and makes you feel good and everything's going to be good and oh, it's getting better and it's wonderful. I don't want to be that kind of a preacher that preaches to an empty church one day. I want to preach to a church that understands the scriptures and knows what God says and we're alert spiritually and if persecution comes, we're ready because we knew that sign was there. We knew it advanced. God loved us so much and we're alert. So let's pray together. God, help us to be alert spiritually. I I memorized a poem when I was a teenager. It goes like this. God has no hands but our hands to do his work today. He has no feet but our feet to lead men to his way. He has no help but our help to lead men to his side. He has no tongue but our tongue to tell men that Christ died. We're the only gospel this careless world will read. We're the sinner's gospel. We're the scoffer's creed. We are the Lord's last message written in deed and in word. So what if the line is crooked? And what if the print is blurred? What if our hands are busy with other works than His? And what if our feet are leading where sin's allurement is? What if our tongues are speaking of things that Christ would spurn? Church, how can we hope to aid Him and hasten His return? be about the father's business he's coming he's coming soon. every head bowed and every eye closed with our heads bowed and our eyes closed I pray this morning that God would just get a hold of each of us that we would be alert that we would understand what saith the Lord this morning in just a moment we'll give this response you're welcome to come to the altar if you want to pray there in your seat This response time is just follow the leadership of the Spirit as we sing and worship and pray. Father, we love you. God, I come to you right now confessing that I I have many times fallen short of being alert to what you've been saying to me about these days that we're living in. Lord, I've been disobedient at times, and I ask you to forgive me, and God, help me. To be a believer, a true follower of Christ that is being sensitive to your spirit, that is being alert and watching and waiting for your coming and should it be today, God, even so, come Lord Jesus. But God, if there is 10, 20, 30, 50, 100 more years to live, if there's another generation still to come, God, may we have been faithful with the time you gave us here. Oh Jesus, we love you, we need you. God, may we worship you in song. One more time today as we gather together to respond to Mark 13 and your your words in Jesus name. Amen.